Well, here, here's what's a little troubling. So I, I appreciate when, I, when fans come up and they say, I, I, I hated you. I just hated you. You were disgusting. That's, that, that's about right. What troubles me more is that when, when lawyers come up to me, they come up to me with a big smile and they say, well done. You did a good job. You <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, I, you have to remember that's the lawyer's job is to, is to, is to win, is to do well for his clients. But I, I'm a little troubled by how much attorneys uh, admire me. Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Kobe. And you're listening to The Wire Stripped. It's the show where we watch The Wire every week. And you don't just hear from us, you hear from the cast, crew, and some of you guys, the mega fans of The Wire. Today we are going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 6, called All Prologue. This is a good one. This is a doozy. No matter what you think of Season 2, this episode is one. It has to be one of your favourite episodes of The Wire altogether, I think. Yeah, there's a lot happens in this episode. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you are going to have a lot to say about this. So do let us know your thoughts on this episode. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It's at The Wire Stripped. Or send us an email. It's burner at thewirestripped.com. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, without further ado, here's our chat, which we recorded in the streets of London. He got the fire and the fury. At his command Well you don't have to worry When you hold on to Jesus' hand We'll all be safe from Satan When the thunder rolls You gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole Kobe, here we are on the on the rooftops. Yep. Looking at the hand to hands. Yep. We're looking at Herc. Yeah. Yeah. He's down there <laughs> with his jacket on. I mean, we are, we're tech, we are on a rooftop, but we're on the rooftop of the, the National Theatre, looking at the South Bank. And I guess the the sort of hand to hands that are happening are more handshakes and uh, and hugs. Hugs. Yeah. <laughs> handshakes and hugs. <laughs> uh, so what have we got in this episode? This is season two, episode six, all prologue. It's all prologue. Yes. Uh, a lot happened in this one. I was. This is a good one. Yeah, I was looking forward to this episode um, on this rewatch. I couldn't. I didn't remember that a lot of these things that we're going to talk about happened in this episode. So let's get to it. So I when guess. they happened, you were like, "Yeah, oh, here we go." Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I guess let's let's kick off with the most important storyline for me, or the, at least the most enjoyable one. Oh yeah, I guess the, the most Gantt enjoyable trial. one. <laughs> the Gantt trial. This is yeah. so good. So we've got Omar's finally on the stand. Birds being prosecuted for mm-hmm. killing Gant. And before, I don't know, before we get to the stand, um, in the intro to the episode, we have Bert, we have uh, Omar sitting there with the, I guess, the warden. Bailiff or Yeah, something? the bailiff, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The bailiff's filling out a crossword puzzle um, and it doesn't know the difference between the Greek god of war and the Roman god of war. And Omar does. Such a lovely little touch. Yeah. Um, Omar, again, is just a super smart character, Omar. And... You know, he's well-read, com- compassionate in a way, um, and has his standards. And like we were talking about Ziggy in the last episode, if Omar had been in a different, had been born in a different place, he'd be certainly a different type of person. In a strange way, Ziggy has something in common with Omar. This is Joe Kiley. He's my co-host on the podcast Scheitgeist. In that they're both interested in legends. When Omar's waiting to go into court, he, he helps out with the crossword, uh, knowing the difference between Aries and Mars. 
he even says that he was huge into legends when he was in school. And that's exactly what he wants to be. He was the brother of Nohart Anthony, who was a legend around West Baltimore. And Omar himself, his name rings out as legendary. So that's something he shares with Ziggy. Ziggy, he wants to be a legend. When Horseface wants to manipulate him, all he has to do is say, Ziggy, you're a legend of the docks. And he's putty in his hands, because that's exactly playing into what Ziggy sees himself as. So you're seeing two characters who are striving for the same thing. And one of them is perfectly suited to his environment. And the other is a total fuck up. Yeah, I mean, he's, 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 he's an entrepreneur, isn't yeah. he? Really. And he's a rebel. He bucks trends. Like, and he's living, he's existing in a world, a very dangerous world, mm. doing a very dangerous profession. Um, and he's in, in, he's in an environment where he's sort of, he's a, he's a lone wolf. He yeah. doesn't quite fit in. And he's, you know, in many ways, I mean, he's, he's gay. Uh, he's, you know, he's living, he's living with drug dealers and, mm. and robbing them at the same time. Like, <laughs> but he's like, he's so confident and cool throughout. And I think he's just so good in this whole, in this whole episode, the yes. way he's like, he's leans back. He refuses to conform. He doesn't buy court clothes. He just buys this brilliant tie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I was listening to the, uh, there's, there's an audio commentary on the Blu-ray, um, for, for this season with uh, Michael K. Williams mm. who plays Omar and Dominic West who plays McNulty together uh, talking about this episode right. it's, it's worth a listen I recommend if anyone has, hasn't listened to it yet um, and he said that that um, tie was actually custom made by the wardrobe department for, for Omar specifically why, you, why would you custom make a tie? <laughs> I don't know yeah you feel like they could have just gone out like a, bought a tie bought, just bought a tie yeah. bought a silver tie yeah like I said, it had to be made. It was just perfectly Omar. <laughs> um, but this, I mean, you're talking about Omar. Omar's been cross-examined. And he's happy to say, yeah, you know, I, I robbed drug dealers. He's, he's got no problem saying that. State your name for the record. Omar Devon Little. Mr. Little, how old are you? About 29, about. And where do you live? No place in particular, ma'am. You're homeless? And the wind, so to speak. And what is your occupation? Occupation. What exactly do you do for a living, Mr. Little? I rip and run. You? I rob drug dealers. And exactly how long has this been your occupation, Mr. Little? Oh, I don't know exactly. I've been to the say maybe about eight or nine years. Mr. Little, how does a man rob drug dealers for eight or nine years and live to tell about it? Day to time, I suppose. He's there for revenge, and he's he wants to make sure Bird gets behind it. And um, you know, he, he understands he's a bit comical. He understands that the jury are reading into him differently to how they would view other witnesses. But at the same time, he's super engaging on that stand. He's not he's not lying about Bird showing off his gun left, right, and centre. He knows everything that they need to hear, even though he is in their eyes a bad guy. But it's interesting because that play, by doing that, mm. he actually succeeds, and yeah. it's like goes against what I, like um, what Irene thought in the Irene last. Irene Nathan, yeah. Irene Nathan, that's yeah. it. What she thought in the last episode was that I can't put him in front of Morris Levy, or he'll chew him up. Mm. Um, and she and she thinks, you know, you got we got to dress him up in court clothes. She goes through the motions. Like you said, Omar refuses to do any of that. He mm. just goes up, 
is himself and tells the truth mm -hmm. and the jury just responded to that like they he, he he had them eating out of his out of his hands because that approach was more honest and they probably believed him more yeah, because definitely. He, he didn't have a reason to lie if he had a suit if he had a suit shirt and tie on and he was like yeah i know birds he used to show me his gun he'd be, it's it's a conflict it's a conflict of the story you're trying to tell yeah but his story of yeah i know birds we're not friends but he likes to flash his gun around that was definitely his gun then that's a different that's a different story that they can definitely buy into and also he doesn't pretend to be anything else like yeah. you said he's like yeah i'm a drug dealer and i oh no sorry i, I kill drug dealers yeah. you know it's like and they're like oh okay <laughs> he's being honest yeah. with us doesn't even, know, the truth. doesn't even know how many times he's been arrested <laughs> um this leads us to the i don't know uh, we should say Judge Feeling is back in the back in the in the scene in the wire. Yeah, nice to see nice to see him back. Yeah, um, and this leads to one of my favourite ever lines in the wire ever. Do you want to take this? Oh, thanks. What an <laughs> honour. Do you know what? I think we should just cut to the clip. Yeah, because this this is one of the, I, I agree. This is a standout moment, probably the standout moment of the episode. Mm. You are a parasite who leeches off just like you. The culture mate. of drugs. Excuse me. What? I got the shotgun. Got the briefcase. It's on the game, though, right? So the first time you saw that, what what were your thoughts? That That's just perfect. It's like, but also if you look at Morris Levy's expression, I like <laughs> rewind that a few times because it's so. Um, I forget the actor's name, but he does such a brilliant little double take. Yeah. Um, it's like it's so so it's perfection, and Omar doesn't even like miss a beat. It's turned out to be a favorite scene for a lot of people where Omar uh, stops Levy up short in, in the courtroom. And I, I love that scene. Here's more from Michael Kostroff, who played Morris Levy. Keep in mind that the, the, the cast is so, it was so vast that many of us never met each other. So I had seen Omar on television and he had seen Levy on television and we were terrified to meet each other <laughs> so which is funny because michael k williams and i are both real softies we're really nice warm guys in real life but you wouldn't think so if you saw us on tv so i, I sheepishly went up to him and i said hi i'm michael i play levy and he said i was scared to meet you i said i was scared to meet you too <laughs> so after that we had quite a fun day uh playing that scene it was uh, i think you know Secretly, I was delighted to see Levy get his comeuppance. Well, David Simon's writing is so brilliant that you really, there's never any, even a temptation to change a word because that, that's, that scene was played verbatim. It was just what was on the page. So, well, it, it, it works anyway, and um, Bird gets found guilty mm -hmm. uh, and he's going to be sent for sentencing. There was a great, I mean, it's, it was really good to see Morris Levy fail yeah. as well, which because we haven't seen that before because in season one he was pretty much infallible and mm. he's like a really good lawyer so that was interesting but also when he failed he was kind of like well there you go that's the, <laughs> the breaks <laughs> see you later bird i tried bye but there's a lovely little moment where um irene naylor is it naylor nathan nathan <laughs> really butchering her today irene nathan um, gives Omar a get out of jail card, literally. A full on monopoly, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Actually, was one of those. It was, yeah. Yeah, with her number on the back. <laughs> I, don't, I really wonder if those kind of things exist, where you've got like pre-exemption from certain crimes up to a level. Looks like you're stuck in an elevator with a stranger once again. Luckily for you, this stranger is producer Tom, and the only small talk you're going to have to make is about facts. 
I just want to point out that get out of jail free cards do not exist in real life. So <laughs> yeah. you can rob a you can rob a shop, you're fine. You know, you feel kind of invincible up until the point where you cause like grievous bodily harm, and then you know you're not covered by this this get out of free card. And when do you flash the car? When yeah. Do you do it while you're committing the crime? Yeah. You're like so you're just like to the shopkeeper like. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> this, is, uh... this means I can rob you. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. <laughs> so, yeah, um, if this really exists, it'd be great to find out. How you can get one. Yeah. Is that you? Kobe really wants I wanna, one. Yeah, I want to. Somebody send Kobe to get a jail free card. <laughs> Seriously, they do not exist. We're back in the detail now, and Daniels rightly says we need to go back to understanding where, where the ladies come, to, come from. Um, because they're not getting into the states legally. Someone's sending them there for a reason, and that reason is to be part um, of the sex trade, really, mm. uh, against their will. Um, Kima and Prez are, are the people who have been tasked with going to investigate strip clubs and finding out where where the sexy ladies go to. <laughs> Why did he choose Prez? I don't know. <laughs> Prez looks so it, uncomfortable it throughout this whole procedure. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable, and... Kima is like the cat that got the cream until... Yes, until she tells Cheryl. Yeah. Her wife uh, doesn't go down well and she's already on a very rocky road for Definitely. having joined this detail. So Cheryl decides, hey, I'm going to come along as well. Yeah, which doesn't... Kima's not happy about that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but you get... Oh, guys, just before that as well, we meet Shardine again. Yes. Uh, so Shardine uh, connects Kima with one of her... Uh, someone she knows in a strip club yep. uh, who, can, who can help out. Um, and interesting to see Chardine, um sort of in her everyday civvy outfit. Yeah, at the house that I presume she lives in with um, with Lester. Yes. Yeah. And oh my yeah, first view of Lester's house. The internals of Lester's mind, probably. And it's like it kind of looked exactly like I expected, full of rich mahogany. <laughs> <laughs> to quote Anchorman. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He's he's just modelling his tiny furniture he makes is modelled from his house <laughs> do you reckon yeah um, so to go to the strip club and Prez is uncomfortable Kima's uncomfortable um, Cheryl's uncomfortable yeah it's like not, it's fun, not fun for anyone in that in that scene no that was very cool to be outside of the apartment just like looking at all you know being in the in the room with all the strippers and then going into like the smaller room and having that moment you know feeling those feelings of jealousy and, and all of that you know so so it was very cool this is Melanie Nichols King who played Cheryl it was really nice to get out because it was like oh my gosh you know I mean as much as you know, it's it was lovely playing with Sonia. It's like, you know, when you get to like, you know, sort of open up your world and see because of course Cheryl is is, you know, she works in the news, she's she's a journalist, she's going she has this whole life outside of the apartment. So to be able to get to see her and how she interacts with other people and, you know, see her as a fully evolved human being outside of being Kima's Kima's partner was was very cool and be able to explore that. You know, those, those like, you know, uncomfortable feelings of like, well, I trust my, my, my partner, but, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, so it was cool. Well, I mean, I kind of think, I was thinking like, if anyone brought their, their significant other to work and made them sit next to them, it'd be pretty awkward. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So, I mean, it'd be pretty boring for, for my wife yeah. to sit next to me while I was tapping away on a computer. Yeah, I'm just on Twitter here, <laughs> Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they chat with the... The, the lady that um, that Shardine hooked him up with. 
Uh, yeah, and this is, I mean, this is real, really tragic. Uh, her, her sort of, she nonchalantly sort of, or matter-of-factly kind of describes what the life of one of these um, human trafficked women, usually from Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. is like. And it's, it's very it's, grim. It's horrible. Um, it's, I mean, there was one, one line that really stood out to me was that the woman who got tasered for uh, going down the, to the corner to buy dinner. Yeah. It was like they're, they're basically in, they're in prison. And you know that they're not getting any money out of this at all. They're not. No. They're just, they are slaves. They're human slaves at this point. And I, you just know that, I mean, um, like, like all of, like all of the wire, you know, David Simon and Ed Burns uh, have the experience. Mm. They, you know, they, they, they understand every facet of this city. And I feel like there's, there's a whole lot of truth in here. Yeah. Uncomfortable truth. Um, on the other side of the detail, uh, Bunker Freeman um, and BD, they start doing their techie stuff. They start getting the wire type, type stuff together after, after being tipped off by Maui. Um, the computers. They get the computers going. Um, and this, it looks tedious. It looks, I mean, Lester is in his element, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Bunk is not in his element. Cool Lester Smooth cool Lester loves, loves a bit is. of a tedious work, doesn't he? Beatty's, Beatty's actually enjoying it as well, isn't she? She's good at it as well. Yeah. It's like, again, Beatty coming into her own. But mm-hmm. Bunk's, this is not for Bunk. No. Bunk's not, not happy. He's throwing a... He's throwing a tennis ball around like the Great Escape. <laughs> um, I loved like he it hits Freeman on the head at one stage. It How many do. takes do you think it took to get that right? It, or was, it was an accident. I I, I thought exactly <laughs> when I was seeing it. Yeah, um, yeah. Bunk just sods off to get to get drunk with uh, with Minotti. Yes, and then they de- they definitely drunk drove home. Yeah, like I mean they they, they they drive out then get like drink a whole bottle of Jameson each yeah, and then just dry, clearly drive home we like. still don't know obviously obviously it's illegal but how they get away with it continuously is is beyond me I mean there's a there's there's a lot more of a drink driving culture in the US uh, in my limited experience right correct us if uh, correct me if I'm wrong US listeners but there, there are serious problems out there and I think it's interesting when you see and I know this is fiction but when you see you know um when you see police officers who mm. are often held as role models in communities who are doing things like this, um, I mean, then, then then you know it's a systemic problem. So the guys are investigating the computers. Bunk has gone off uh, to get drunk with Jimmy, leaving Freeman and BD to do the real work, and they find to a do system. all the work, yeah, all the do, hard work to do the work. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sits there in the office with them the next day vomiting yeah. into a bin. That's such a brilliant I'd scene. I'd be so annoyed at him <laughs> if I was them. You went at him already, right? You grand jury his ass, and that motherfucker didn't blink. <laughs> you want to hit the head? Get yourself right, detective? Uh, nah, I'm good. I thought, yes, I love that. I, um... The vomit, in a way, the vomit can see. It, watching people on TV and film vomiting n- does make me heave. It <laughs> really? properly makes me, I, I remember nearly being sick whilst watching Jackass the Third, I think it was. Oh, there's a lot of vomiting in that. There's one, a lot yeah. of vomiting. Um, do you know what Bunk? Do you know what Bunk is in this uh, in this moment? He's 
Do you remember when you had to do like a like a, an assignment in school, a group assignment in school or in university? Right. And there's always one guy or girl on the group assignment who's like not doing any of the work <laughs> and then just rocks up and gets the same grade as everyone else. That's, that's what this is. And they were usually out getting drunk uh, while everyone else was doing the work. And do you think, I mean, we, we talked about him playing a good drunk in the previous season. Does he play a good hungover? I think so, yeah. yeah. He did really good. <laughs> I mean, Wendell Pierce, obviously we've had him at the show. We're yeah. a big fan. Um, if we get him on again, we'll ask him how um, how he's... What he, what he does how to he prepare. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, interestingly, um, on that note, I mentioned the audio commentary. Mm. Um, Michael K. Williams mentioned that when they were shooting the courtroom scene... Yeah. Um, and it cuts to Stringer Bell at one point. He said that Stringer Bell was asleep moments before that because he and Idris Elba had been on the tear the night before, <laughs> <laughs> the night before filming the courtroom. I scene. love how they. I mean, when we, and also reading uh, Jonathan Abrams' book, um, The Wire. To all the pieces matter. How everyone in the cast really just got on with each other, and it was just like we are we are friends for it life. It's been so much fun to work. Absolutely, with. yeah. And it really comes across, yeah. like in all the little moments with all the detail. Yeah, I mean, particularly like Herc and Carve, they lived together for like during season one and two. I think they lived together because that's how cops, body, buddy cops, would have been. And the chemistry really jumps off the screen. Yeah. Um, but Nolte gets back with his wife, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. I felt bad for McNulty here. So McNulty's kind of wrapped up, you know, he's uh, he's wrapped up the, the Omar thing and the bird trial. Yeah. The, you know, he's hit a dead, a really unfortunate dead end trying to to find the identity of his of his floater. Mm-hmm. And um, he's kind of got nothing left and he's ready to settle into retirement and he just wants... He wants a bit of happiness back in his life and he wants to get back with his wife and he's really, really trying, isn't he? As immature as his, as his scene <laughs> with the know, mannequin yeah. is. <laughs> That's such a funny scene, actually. <laughs> it is good. <laughs> um, I mean, we know, we, know, we know McNulty from season one. We just, we don't think it's going to, we don't think it's going to happen for him. No, I mean, the, the crimes maybe are too, are too great. Yeah. You know, he's, he's straight over the line one too many times, I think. I was glad that she gave him, you know, a date at least and stuff like that. More than a date, yeah. We? More than a date. They... If this was Arrested Development, the uh, the batter, the picture of the batter would be showing up right now. <laughs> the batsman hitting third base or whatever. But the way he kind of just thought, "This is it. I'm back in now." And you see the next, the morning after, um, he's there reading the paper. Yeah, what should we do today? Um, let's pick up the kids. Let's go to the zoo. I can't remember where they were going to go to, but he just thinks they're going to slip right back into the system, and. He's super happy, but you know, she's not there. I felt so bad. I feel bad for him. Poor, yeah. Poor McNulty. Poor McNulty. So, hello, Kobe and Dave. This is a greeting from Mexico City, and yeah. About uh, season two of The Wire, I have to say this is this was the first time I ever watched The Wire, so it's one of my favorite seasons. And I think if I had to do a ranking, it has to be season two and uh, season five. Then season 
four and at the end will be season three and, and one and that will be based only on the number of times I rewatched all the seasons because I think they are very all of them are very interesting. This is the first time I ever called to a burner. And thank you for the burner message which came all the way from Mexico City. Unfortunately, we don't know who you are, so please do send us a message on our social media platform so we can at least say thank you very much for that kind message. And if you want to leave us a message, you can do it by sending us a WhatsApp voice memo to the number plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five eight. That's our burner phone. It's untraceable. <laughs> we usually leave it uh, under a park bench. Um, and then Kobe goes and picks it up yeah. uh, at a secure lo- time and location. And it's getting cold, guys, so please do. Don't make my journeys wasted. Um, we'd, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> get messages from you. <laughs> and guys, if you if you find it easier, please do leave us a message, record a message on your favorite voice memo app on your phone and send it to burner at thewirestrip.com and we can play the burner messages that way. This week, we want to hear what's your favorite season two moment so the best moment it might be from this episode might be from another episode what's the moment that sticks out in your memory let us know fantastic going back to the docks after nick and ziggy had googled the chemicals that spiros and the guys wanted and found out it was for drugs not the bombs and i told them it's when yeah. it was sent them to like drugs.biz or exactly. something <laughs> drugs.biz.geocities <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they um they say yeah well we can get this for you we can get the stuff for you because you know you're not gonna blow people up so that's fine yeah yeah oh drugs oh why didn't you just say it was drugs (laughs) we're cool with drugs um and also nick asks spirits for help with the the whole cheese problem yeah this is um obviously you scratch my back i'll scratch yours and nick is sorry spirits is really fond of nick you can tell here he sees a smart cookie a street smart cookie uh who's accompanied by his street's unsmart cousin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a real sort of father and son mentorship kind of thing yeah. going on there, isn't there? Because uh, Nick Nick's sort of cleverly says, no, we don't want, don't kill him, because yeah. then someone's going to cap, They'll just come back in cap in Ziggy's ass. Yeah. Um, and they just want to make sure that everyone... And I think it's right. Ziggy, uh, Nick just says, Ziggy messed up the package. He, needs, he should pay it back because it's his fault. Um, that he owes money it's his fault it's no one else's fault so we just want to pay what's fair and that's what Spiros negotiates Nick's a lot more like Frank than Ziggy is like Frank for sure and I think that's why when you see Frank um, trying to reason with someone in his family he goes to Nick not not Ziggy (laughs) yeah yeah as you would (laughs) as you would do so on that side of the dock side of things um, Spiros calls in Sergei to help out with cheese Wagstaff aka Method Man yeah, there's a great. I love. I like how they shot this scene. So it's, we see it all from Nick's perspective, mm. watching the the argument between Sergey and um, and Cheese. Yeah. And then like you don't know what's happening. A gun gets flashed, and then I love how Sergey just like comes back in and very sort of casually, matter of factly, mm. <laughs> belays all the information. He's like, <laughs> yeah. So he said this, and he said that. It's just like, <laughs> what is this? Like a huge confrontation just happened. He's so casual. It's like it's perfect because that's his world, yes. and it's just like, yeah, okay. So we do business now. Because, we go talk to Prop Joe because there's two of them. 
surrounded by again at least six of six of cheese's uh, crew they don't feel phased by it pull out the gun dude you need to sort this out go back in the car not fret they, they weren't even they didn't even turn their backs they just sorry they just turned their backs and walked straight back to the car without even thinking there was going to be any any kickback from it exactly it's it's an yeah it's an interesting insight into mm. hierarchy isn't yeah. it like these guys because they're allied with Prop Joe, they're kind of just one tier above. Yeah. So they, they're walking around with respect. They're untouchable. Um, and they, yeah, to go see Prop Joe and Prop Joe gives the money back. Um, well, gives the difference back on the money that's owed for Princess Ziggy's car being burnt alive. <laughs> I love, <laughs> love Prop Joe's sort of frustration here like what you want you're asking me for, for the money back like uh like and he basically says you know if you were if you weren't with sergey you and your cousin would be dead yeah and um, but i there's a lovely little point here with, for, with prop, prop joe um about family mm. you know and family's frustration you know and he says uh nick says it's my cousin it's not mine he, prop joe sort of empathizes and he's like we all have you know we've all got I've got those bloody troublesome nephews of mine. Oh, really one of which is Cheese Wagstaff. Oh, it's Cheese's nephew? Yeah, Cheese's nephew. Oh, I didn't nephew. pick that up. Yeah. All right. Um, and it also ties in nicely with D'Angelo and, um, and Avon yeah. as well. It's all about family and you protect the family you have uh, no matter how much trouble mm. they cause you. And that's why that's why he's dishing out the money is to because, yeah, Cheese is his nephew. He's like my sister's son or whatever. And that's why he gets it back. Um, and we go back and... Nick gives the money to to Ziggy. Oh. <laughs> this, I mean, of all the, this is the ziggiest of zigginesses, <laughs> isn't it? This is the most ziggy thing he's ever done, <laughs> I think. What happens is Ziggy falls out with Chase about the money. Here's Hannah from the Standard Issue podcast. And therefore, Nicky goes, uh, Nicky and He's not called Boris, is he? But they all call him Boris, the Russian. Um, that goes to try and negotiate and see if they can, like, stop uh, Cheese killing Ziggy. And Proposition Joe just... Just everything he says in general is just gold. It's like Shakespearean gold, isn't it? It's, it's, it's odd the way he speaks. He speaks in a really sort of almost antiquated fashion. But then it's absolutely riddled with swear words and also like sort of slang at the same time he was just sitting in his little shop dishing out nuggets of uh, of words and most of what he says i couldn't repeat because it wouldn't be um correct for me to be using most of the words that he uses but he is very funny it's the man with the raggedy ass camaro wasn't mine it was my cousin's wasn't all that raggedy sorry Nick is with us, his cousin. But the family cannot be helped. Who you telling? I got motherfucking nephews and in-laws fucking all my shit up all the time. And it ain't like I can pop a cap in the ass and I hear about it Thanksgiving time. For real. I'm living life with some burdensome niggas. I, I, I just keep on going back to that relationship between Ziggy and Nick and just think, Nick, don't. if you're going to give him the money... First of all, if you can do, maybe put it into a savings account for him. So he has <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, yeah. and he can only withdraw like a hundred pounds a day maximum. <laughs> so he has to portion it out at least over twenty-eight days. Um, but don't give it to him all in hundred-dollar bills in in the bar because he he's going to do something stupid with it, yeah. and he does. It's so awful. It's so and it's so insensitive. Mm. Um, 
But again, I mean, I talked, I talked before about I'm trying, I keep, it's so easy to hate Ziggy because he's so <laughs> hateable um, and frustrating. But I keep trying to sort of um, empathize with him and sort of, because he's a really flawed character. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that just before he does that, um, we're on Frank and we're on the, the old stevedores. Yeah. And they're talking about the old days and then Frank comes in and buys everyone around and he's like a hero and he's worshipped and mm. everyone's looking up to him. And and throughout that whole thing, Ziggy's drinking by himself and he's he's watching and he's isolated yeah. and he feels left out. And I talked before about the shadow and I think that's, again, it's the shadow of the past and it's his father's shadow looming large over him. So really, he only burns the hundred dollar bill for attention it's just yeah. it's, it's all attention it's yeah. trying to get his father's attention it's trying to get anybody's attention it's a desperate sort of plea uh, and it, when Frank walks out of the bar I felt really unsatisfied because I thought well there you go you know he's that's kind of bad parenting yeah. as well you're just letting him go but actually it turns it turns around because there's a lovely heart to heart you finally get Frank being an active father to Ziggy and he steps in and basically, let's go take a walk. Yeah. What are you doing? You're being an idiot. How can I help? Kind of, in, in a way, he's, he does it in this very sort of alpha male, father and son kind of way. But there's a lovely little moment where they share, they share a cigarette. <laughs> That's when you know it's all good. Exactly, and I love that. And they're talking about they're talking about the old days. And, and Ziggy really, I warmed to Ziggy in this scene as well. I thought it was yeah, lovely. Yeah, so literally, there's a, there's a contrast between burning the hundred dollar bill to like you can kind of see why even though he could be in a different way. I mean, Frank even says you could have gone to community college even like your older brother. Um, but Ziggy's mind is somewhere else and he's almost tied in with the romance of everything that he saw growing up. That's exactly it. It's the romance. He's in love with it. He knows all the stories. He reels them all off. Yeah. Uh, just like that. He admires his father. Mm. And he wants to be him. Because he does the same He does the same thing. The instant he gets the money, before he burns the bill, he buys around for everyone. Yeah. He's just... He's a kid wearing his father's shoes. Um, and they don't fit. And I think what you said before is that it's, people hate him or you you try not to hate him, but then you said it's frustrating. I think that's that's the perhaps the best way to phrase him is he's so frustrating a person the character um i think hate isn't the isn't the, the word that describes it for me it's like just frustrated every time you you see him like ziggy you do you sit up in your chair <laughs> don't you and you and you're like no ziggy bad ziggy <laughs> do you think he's named after the computer in quantum leap i <laughs> By the way, I used to love Quantum Leap. <laughs> Such a good show. When are we doing Quantum Leap stripped? <laughs> I, and let's, let's start tomorrow. Oh, boy. This final storyline in this in this is, well, it's the closer. Um, and this is what I say. This is the top of this episode, of this episode of this podcast. I didn't remember that D'Angelo dying also happened in the same episode as like um, I f so I'd forgotten that D'Angelo dying also happened in the same episode as Omar like standing up to up to um, up to Levy. yeah up to Levy and the fact that it happened in the same episode it's, it's, it's a bit of a contrast and we've seen in previous episodes D'Angelo pulling away from Avon which means he's not under his protection um, Stringer is caught between a rock and a hard place as 
if something goes down and the whole you know one one big brick falls and everything falls the whole castle falls down with it and he just feels like he's he's pushed into a hole and puts the hit out on on D'Angelo which is super tough it's very yeah it's very it's tough for all of us mm. um it must have been very tough for him. I don't think he makes... I don't think Avon's aware of, of it at this stage. No, Avon doesn't know at this stage. No. Um, and... So it's a bold it's a bold move on Stringer's yeah. part to do this. It's, it's a very, very um, bold decision. I, I don't remember it being necessarily that obvious what was going to happen to D'Angelo. This is Jen from the Standard Issue podcast. I don't even... Like, watching it again, I'm not sure it was even, like explicitly obvious was it am I being stupid um, but then he has like the chat with his mum goes to visit him in prison and he has that chat with his mum where he's basically like you can all just fuck off basically and, and you can't and then you you know I feel like at that point you're like you know nothing good is going to happen to D'Angelo we've talked about family a few times in, in this very episode and obviously Avon and Stringer uh, sorry Avon and D'Angelo are related Stringer isn't part of the family but I guess Stringer feels like he's a brother to Avon so it's kind of it's really it's a really tortuous relationship um, going on going on with them well String, Stringer is ultimately he's he's a businessman and mm. he's kind of cold and calculating like that and he sees you know he treats D'Angelo like, like a threat and yeah. he um he acts on it like he would any other threat. Yeah. Um, D'Angelo, we see him initially trying to clean his act up, even though he's, at the start of the season, he's taken to using drugs and he's, you can you can see him saying, you see him throwing the drugs away in almost to say, I'm going to go off this, I'm going to get myself straight, I'm going to get myself clean. If I'm out of the protection of Avon, I need to have my wits about me. Um... And then we go to a book group in the library, where which is where D'Angelo works, which is the perfect job for him in the in the in the prison. And they're reading The Great Gatsby, and he's got the you know the most insight on the book. He understands what's going on in the in the story of the the great American novel. It's a lovely scene. Mm. Um, this whole episode, I thought Larry Gillard Jr. is is an absolute standout yeah. in this episode, um, as he has been the whole time. I think he's so. So moving, um, and he's one of the one. He's one of the characters we have the most emotional connection yeah, with, definitely. particularly out of season one. And in the, early on in this episode, he essentially says goodbye to his mum, and asks her to say goodbye to his kids and and Danette until until he gets out. Once Wallace died, no one was safe. Like absolutely, no one was safe. This is Damon Gordon. He was a production assistant on season two of The Wire. Unfortunately, I kind of saw D'Angelo. Uh, getting killed I kind of could see that coming um, and what David Simon will do which is which is really genius um, is he'll tend to if you'll notice in any most of his writing he'll tend to focus on a character more often than he normally would and that's a that's a huge indication of somebody's probably gonna go and, and I felt that and I actually told D'Angelo um, or actually the uh, the actor who played D'Angelo, um, you know, because he's talking about, yeah, I want to, you know, buy this Mercedes. And I was like, I don't know, Larry, I, I, I wouldn't, I would, I would probably save my money if I were you. Like, we're, we're, 
focus way too much on you, way more than we were on season one. And there's this tension between you and Avon. I don't know. And I, and, and I felt like the way the story was going to go, that Avon was going to have him killed. Avon was going to get frustrated with him bucking and, and, you know, going against the system and not being a part of the family. And, and he was going to get nervous. And I thought Avon was going to, was going to kill him. It's so sad. I mean, if, if we didn't already know that D'Angelo was going to die, <laughs> the writing's <laughs> on the wall as soon as he, you know, in any character in a TV show, as soon as their life turns around and the, the day they quit drugs and they finally <laughs> stand up to everyone, it's like, and everything starts going right. That's, that's, that's always when they die. He's saying that the past is always with us. And where we come from, what we go through, how we go through it. All this shit matters. What happens to him is terrible at the end, but to me, the real standout scene is when they're talking about the Great Gatsby in book club in prison, and they ask him about the F. Scott Fitzgerald quote about there's no second acts in American lives. I mean, that's what I thought he meant. Go ahead. Like at the end of the book, you know? Boats and tides and all. It's like you can change up. Right? You can say you somebody new, you can give yourself a whole new story. But what came first is who you really are. And what happened before is what really happened. He says that great stuff about, it's like pretty spot on about Gatsby. I mean, that quote's not from Gatsby, it's from The Last Tycoon, but he's pretty spot on about like Gatsby and he starts saying about how he's got all these books and they're on the shelf because he wants to impress people but he can't read them and and he's... You know, he'll never get away from the shit in the past. And then he says, you just got to get with the fucking program or something. And it don't matter that some fool say different because the only thing that make you different is what you really do or what you really go through. Like, you know, like all them books in his library. Now, he fronting with all them books. But if we pull one down off the shelf and none of the pages ever been open. He got all them books and he ain't read near one of them. Gatsby, he was who he was, and he did what he did. And because he wasn't ready to get real with the story, that shit caught up to him. I mean, I think, anyway. Obviously, you realise at that stage he's not talking about Jay Gatsby. And sort of the obvious interpretation would be he's talking about himself. But when I rewatched it this time, I thought, it's really interesting. I think he's talking about Stringer. I think if you, you can apply everything that he says there to Stringer, because that, basically, the death of D'Angelo, sets a chain of events into being that basically the entire rest of the story, the Barksdale story is driven, is a direct result about what happens to, with the death of D'Angelo. Because so it's called all prologue, isn't it? So basically what it's saying, up until this point, everything that's happened has been leading to this event, and everything that happens afterwards was a result of this event. It's easy to forget that D'Angelo Barksdale is a pivotal character to The Wire. Here's more from podcaster Joe Kiley. In a lot of ways, Dee is the catalyst for the entire series. You look at this episode, where Omar testifies against Bird in the Gant killing. Why was Gant killed? Because he testified. And who did he testify against? Against D'Angelo Barksdale in the first episode of season one. We are still dealing with the repercussions of his choices. D'Angelo teaches us that in this game you can't grow a conscience and that informing against your people is a death sentence. His demise is all the more poignant when you realise he himself foreshadowed it in season one. 
I counted three separate occasions where D refers to his family and their business as preventing him from breathing. First, it's a conversation with Chardine. I mean, you got people using each other, scamming each other, cutting each other up because they laid on a bill, shooting folks because might be a fucking dollar in it. I mean, get to some time like I, I can't even fucking breathe. Like I can't even get no air. Know what I mean? The next two are during his confession following Wallace's death. All my people, man. My father, my uncles, my cousins. It's just what we do. You just live with this shit until you can't breathe no more. I can't. I want... But Wallace wanted. I want to start over. That's what I want. I don't care where, anywhere. I don't give a fuck. I just want to go somewhere where I can breathe like regular folk. He even states he was freer in jail than he ever was at home. D'Angelo identifies with Jay Gatsby because he too spent his whole life pretending to be something he's not. It's fitting, therefore, that his assassin poses him to appear like a suicide. Even in death, he's an imposter. And even in death, D'Angelo is still just another pawn in the game. That's it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be looking at Season 2, Episode 7. It's called Backwash. Kobe, do you know, do, uh, in Ireland, backwash is uh, a thing when... Uh, when you pass you take a sup of your drink and then you pass it to somebody else and then um, they say oh you've backwashed that as in your saliva's gone into it is yeah, that that's thing like, here it's like the dregs the dregs of a drink that's what that, yeah, yeah backwash yeah. dregs um, so yeah which not, I presume is what this episode's all about I, I presume so yeah like drink at the drink at the end of your of your Jack Daniels and then give it to- <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Jack Daniels backwash. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. Um, cheers, guys, to all the contributors for this episode, all the all the cast and the crew and fans. Um, we can't do it without you. And also, thanks to Sonics who helped transcribe all the contributors. If you want any help with your transcription for any reason, guys, go to sonics.ai. That's s-o-n-i-x.ai forward slash invite forward slash stripped, and you'll get a hundred minutes of free transcription from them. And thank you to Chris Sutera, who does our lovely season two graphics, and Izzy Lawrence, who did our season one graphics. Yeah, thanks to Martin and Sam from the Song by Song podcast for the tune, their version of Way Down in the Hold, which you can hear right now. And thanks to T-Bone himself, Mr. Producer Tom Wally. He's now called Mr. Producer. He checks all the facts. He does all the edits. He makes us sound silky smooth. He he adds the Irish accent filter onto my voice. Mm. He does. I don't know. He does make just makes it brilliant. Whatever he does. <laughs> uh, if you do want to get in contact with us, guys, or follow us on social media, we are at the Wire Stripped on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please do drop us a note there. And we'd really love if you could take a minute and go into Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening to us. And just hit the hit the little rating button with the stars because that really helps us find out. And we're on Spotify now, so yes. if, you, if you like, yeah, let's go listen on Spotify. Go listen to Spotify. Tell all your friends who don't have Apple Podcasts or or or, the, or all the other platforms. Tell them to go on Spotify because everyone has Spotify. Everyone has Spotify. Oh, There's no excuse. And it also means you can listen to us through Alexa now. Oh, and can the they? second I said her name, 
She she popped up. She's lit up now in the corner. Don't say anything. <laughs> That's how for now, guys. Cheers for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>